Welcome to On The Money, where you can find out anything and everything to do with finance, business and the economy. On The Money is broadcast live from the studios of Radio 2 SER nationwide on the Community Radio Network. I'm Roderick Chambers and coming up on the program... Sector is not ready for the influx that will happen, so therefore we really need ongoing funding injected into the homelessness sector so it can be funded properly for once. It's very hard if you are homeless to stay home and self-isolate. And at present, the charities and services helping homeless people are already working at full capacity. They need funding now to prepare for an influx of people who are going to lose their homes despite the Prime Minister's rental instructions. Also on the program... So be upfront and actually ask for help. Don't try not to do a payday lender because the interest rates will be gouged. That gouge is the only word. Um, well, you'll just never get back on top of that. Whether you have put in for the JobKeeper package so far or are still not sure what you qualify for, you'll probably have to make do with less money. We talk to people to provide some tips on how to manage debts, debtors and where to go for help. All this and more coming up on On The Money. First, the National Cabinet announced that there will be a new system for the childcare sector. Minister Dan Tien has said that all will be able to access childcare basically without cost during the coronavirus crisis. So the hope is that now all parents who need will get the care they want and those who have sought to disengage from from the childcare sector will re-engage with the sector. I caught up with Professor Warren Hogan, former ANZ Chief Economist and now UTS Business School Executive in Residence to look at the ramifications of the extraordinary stimulus measures announced this week. Warren Hogan, today the PM announced a package to support childcare. How big is this and is it going to work? Well, the numbers um, are pretty small actually compared to the recent packages at uh, just over a billion dollars, but that's actually a lot of money. Um, so it is a substantial amount of funding for this um, sector. So my read of the package is essentially to try and get um, childcare centres, early childhood learning uh, capacity in our society, into the same space as schools are. That is basically fully funded and functioning uh, so that when this is all over, they're, they're, sort of, they're ready to up, get up and go. Because at the moment, because a lot of them are, are private, privately run, um, they're getting people pulling out left, right and centre for the obvious health reasons. Uh, some are having to, some people are still paying, some people aren't, but they're risky losing staff. Um, I think these are the stories we've been hearing. So the, the package today is just about financially showing them up and keeping staff engaged. Um, so the way I think of it is they're trying to make sure that that part of the education sector is um, operating on the same basis as the, the public sector, um, schools and so forth. Yeah, because cause it, it, there is the danger that you mightn't get them back open. That's right. Yeah. I mean, they're, 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 they're um, uh, for profit. Uh, well, they're private sector. Uh, they have to be able to um, fund themselves, which they have had a very good history of doing. Um, but, of course, this is an incredible shock, and uh, I would imagine that there would be less than 25% occupancy at the moment if um, 
looking at what's going on in primary schools is anything to go by. And I've heard stories where people are having to keep paying, even though you know, they don't want their child there. They're at home with them. Um, and some people have pulled out. I mean, the risk is the jobs, of course. These these um, these centres will, will not be able to pay if they're not getting revenues. So this removes that risk for them and uh, ensures that they're up and running again when everything, hopefully, goes back to normal. And it kind of fits in with the JobKeeper package that was announced earlier in the week. This is the the biggest spending package we've ever seen, I think. Is it in time to save some of our economic furniture? It, it certainly is. I mean, it's it's an incredible amount of money. Um, it's for six months, $130 billion. Um, the Australian economy's total income for everyone in the economy, um, businesses, individuals, is about a, a trillion dollars in six months, just under... So it's essentially 13% of GDP. The government is um, filling the hole that the shutdowns and lockdowns are going to create. So they're basically doing everything they can to make economy is um, is propped up as best they can. Uh, very generous. Um, it, it, of course, is going to be open to... Well, all these programs are always open to rorting. I hope, you know, we all hope that doesn't happen too much. But there are also going to be a lot of examples of people getting it who don't really need it. Um, but you can't you can't target these programs too much because you don't have time to set it up uh, to be targeted. They have to, um, by their very nature of getting them out there and happening, they have to be uh, very broad based. And, and so, you know, 130 billion is the cost of that. And there's going to be some people who get access to it that don't necessarily need it, but there's going to be a much, much more people who really needed it. And, of course, the main thing is keeping people connected to employers. Um, and, of course, the other concept of being making sure there's a basic income out there for, for all Australians. Sort of so keeping the wheels turning. Keeping the wheels turning uh, is going to be part of the objective. It is a fiscal stimulus. It is a, a macroeconomic stimulus. But I think the main thing is that the, the human element of it is, is keeping people... Um, with a reasonable amount of resources in their pocket every couple of weeks, you know, that they can pay the rent and feed themselves and all those sorts of things. It's, it's not generous in that respect. At an individual level, it only can be regarded as generous in terms of the scope of the package in totality. Um, you know, we, I, I don't think anyone would say that $1,500 a fortnight is generous. Of course, if you're in regional Tasmania, it's a very different proposition to if you're living on inner city Sydney or Melbourne. Um, but, of course, again... You, you, you're making it a flat number for everyone and, and to try and make all the alterations that you'd need to make and it wouldn't just be geographic, it would be um, uh, very difficult and uh, there'd be a lot of questions of fairness then too. So, so yeah, it's and, um, comprehensive. And are we going to be borrowing this from uh, financial markets? And what if other countries are doing the same thing? Who ends up having the money to pay for all of this? Yeah, so this is very important and people shouldn't sort of worry about it too much. But um, essentially, the economic system is reasonably closed. I mean, it's obviously closed globally and even to some extent in, a, in, a, in, a, in an individual country. But when a shock like this happens and people stop spending, the money doesn't disappear. Um, you can have deleveraging um, and set off those sorts of processes of people having to sell things like houses or shares and repay loans and people lose money. But putting that to the side... Essentially, is what's happening in uh, whether you're an investor or you're a person who's maintained their job and their income is you're sort of running the cash. You're putting the money in the bank. I think you'll find that the, the most investors are sort of 
quite concerned about equity, so they'll sort of maybe sell some and they'll hold cash levels rather than putting them into risky assets, or individuals won't be spending as much. And, of course, that means our banks are filling up with cash. If this persists, then they'll be the ones who buy those government bonds. Um, there's also your natural investors, which are your superannuation funds. They'll buy the government bonds. But this is the key point, is that even if those bonds that the government issues to raise the money to pay for these programs can't be sold to other private, to private investors, the Reserve Bank of Australia has the capacity to go and buy those bonds and make sure that they buy them at a good rate, i.e. an interest rate. The interest on these bonds is going to be extraordinarily low, maybe less than 1%. Um, so it's not expensive money for the Australian government, um, and the Reserve Bank will be a backstop to make sure that the government gets its money. Now, this isn't printing money. This is simply providing liquidity to the government. The money will have to be paid back. And, and, and is that part of quantitative easing? It is quantitative easing. It is, um, yeah. It is, yeah. So they, they, the announcements the Reserve Bank made a few weeks ago, which took the cash rate, their normal, you know, the interest rate they normally target, down to 0.25%. Then they announced that they're going to target a 0.25% yield on the three-year bonds. So they tried to sort of get away from the idea that it was quantitative easing them, that it was targeting a price in the market. And that had to be done through buying and selling government bonds. And that's what they're doing at the moment. But if the government has any trouble in getting their bonds away, issuing those bonds into the private market and raising the money, whether it's from a super fund or a bank or an overseas investor, then the Reserve Bank can come in and buy the bonds and take the pressure off the market. So it is quantitative easing. We haven't done it before in this country. We've always been able to fund our government. And, um, and, and look, the RBA might not have to do much. There could be a lot of demand for Australian government bonds out of international financial system, even from Australian banks and super investors. There's been a bit of pressure today on the markets, uh, thanks to the Reserve Bank of New Zealand. They appear to have, I guess, stopped the New Zealand banks paying dividends to their owners here in Australia. How is that affecting things? Look, it's pretty minor. Um, New Zealand's uh, about the size of New South Wales, so, you know, not not insignificant, but in terms of the Australian banks' operations, um, uh, and different banks have different exposures. ANZ is the most exposed in New Zealand. ANZ in New Zealand is New Zealand's largest company, um, but the other banks aren't quite as big in New Zealand. But they're, they're still just a, a, a quarter of the operations or even less. Um, so, look, I don't think that this action by New Zealand can jeopardise the the functioning of the Australian banks, the profitability, their capital. But what the New Zealanders are doing is they're saying, we're worried about the, 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 the potential economic downturn that's coming. We're worried about businesses failing. The consumers don't pay their mortgages. And, of course, when that happens, it's a default, and the banks have to write that off. Um, and that's uh, cost money. And, of course, what the New Zealand uh, authorities are doing is, rather than paying a dividend back into Australia or to any New Zealand investors, uh, keep that money because you may need it in six months to cover the losses that you may see. So this is a very cautious Reserve Bank of New Zealand. And, of course, here in Australia, we've seen that our, our authorities, you know, they'll be looking at this closely, but they're not doing it. I think they've what they said is it's up to the board and management of the banks to make those decisions. Um, so they don't appear to be very worried. No, at the moment, they're... they're, they're just keeping an eye on it. And, um, the Australian banks are very strong from a capital and liquidity point of view. Um, 
So, you know, it will take a lot of losses for us to get ourselves to a position where the banks are worried about their capital, um, simply because they have to hold so much as part of the new regulatory world post the crisis of 2009. Look, um, it could play out that way, but I think if we got to a situation where the Australian banks were facing major defaults across consumers and businesses, that's going to be after this initial pandemic shock because of all the things the government's put in place, that should be able to help manage those risks. That's why the banks in Australia have rallied. Their share prices have rallied since the um, wage subsidy was put in place. Um, but if there is something nasty in 2021, next year, for example, then there could be a different story. But at this stage, I think we're, you know, I think it's probably prudent to... For the, for the Australian banks just to manage their own affairs. And I think the New Zealanders are being a little bit cautious on this one. Professor Warren Hogan, UTS Business School Executive in Residence, speaking with me there. I'm Roderick Chambers and you're listening to On The Money throughout Australia on the Community Radio Network. My name is François Carrière. I am at the UTS Business School and you are listening to On The Money, summing up finance in one easy bite. As we buckle up for another week of the global pandemic, some of us may be experiencing the monotony and agony of not being able to go outside. What about those who live outside? People who are facing homelessness need to protect themselves too. And what is the government doing to help our most underprivileged people? Bageshri Saviasachi has the story. As New South Wales tries to curb the spread of COVID-19, the safety of the state's homeless community is still at high risk. With an unanticipated increase in unemployment, more people are at the risk of not being able to pay rent and losing their homes. And those who are already rough sleepers would need accelerated housing security to protect themselves, especially now. Gareth Ward, Minister for Families, Communities and Disability Services, made a statement saying that the government has pledged $14.3 million to increase the supply and flexibility of temporary accommodation available for people who are homeless or at the risk of homelessness. Ryan Park, Shadow Minister for Housing and Homelessness, does not think that this will be enough to sustain the community through the upcoming wave of economic uncertainty. Well, we know that this crisis is not only just a health crisis, It's an economic crisis, and we know that there's going to be a lot more people who will need support going forward. Um, I hope that's not the first and last of the payments. Um, What we do need is ongoing support and assistance, particularly as we see every day more and more people without employment and more and more people looking to access government support. The Shadow Minister also expresses the urgent need for people who are homeless to have access to testing to be able to control exposure to the virus within the vulnerable community. 
support needs to be provided directly to the homeless services so they can do a lot more outreach, which is directly going to where many homeless people are within a particular community and making sure that there's an opportunity to A, look after them and house them more appropriately and also to get them tested if they're developing or showing signs of that because we do know the virus is likely to spread a lot faster in people where they are struggling to put a roof over their head and they're living in cramped conditions or outside on the street. Pam Barker, CEO of Y Foundations, the peak body representing homelessness among youth in New South Wales, says that even though temporary housing is easier to access now, the sector still faces a plethora of problems like poor planning and inadequate resources that might be further complicated by the pandemic. We're all facing this crisis and it's unfolding day to day and what we need now changes tomorrow. So it's very hard for us. It's really coordinating the whole sector like it's never been coordinated before. And unfortunately, the sector is already incredibly under-resourced. And the biggest fear we have moving forward is already we've seen aggressive rates of homelessness um, increasing um, on our streets. And so what we will find is this is just beginning. It's week two of the pandemic. The rates of unemployment have skyrocketed. Um, a lot of young people um, are, have lost their jobs, have been stood down. Um, we'll soon face things like rental distress, which means there will be an influx of young people homeless. According to Pam, the government must respond quicker to the sector's needs. She says that the sector has always been underperforming and urges the government to allocate more funds to the housing and homelessness sector to be able to prepare it for the imminent flood of people who will require its services. The issue is, is we're actually responding to what the sector needed prior to the pandemic in order to support what's currently there. The sector is not ready for the influx that will happen, so therefore we really need in the future ongoing funding injected into the homelessness sector so it can be funded properly for once. It, it, it hasn't been funded um, in a way that allows service delivery to meet the needs um, and the demand that was there before. With the increase, we need it to meet the, the future demand and we'll start lobbying for it um, in the next coming weeks because we know what is in store. We've seen the impacts of COVID to date. Who knows how bad it's going to be in the coming months. Pam Barker, CEO of Y Foundations, ending that report by Bageshri Saviasachi. Whilst the government scrambles to try and rescue a crumbling economy, many people are struggling to keep up with their debts. Lani Tyndale spoke with a victim of the economic halt and how best to cope with ongoing financial commitments. All across Australia, pubs, cinemas, restaurants and retail stores have been shut down to prevent the spread of COVID-19. This week has seen the most job losses in Australia for the last 100 years. Liam is a bartender from Queensland. He told me that he lost his job last week. I pretty much finished the shift and then my, the owner of my company sent out an email to everyone saying that we have to close the doors until further notice uh, due to the coronavirus. Helen Baker is a financial planner. She says the first thing to do if you've lost your job is try and access Centrelink payments. The government's put a lot, a lot, a lot of things in place to help support people. So the first place to go is there because
Liam has tried to access Centrelink. Like a lot of people, he hasn't been able to get through to the website. I've been trying to get onto Centrelink, but it's quite hard. The site keeps crashing because of the amount of people that are trying to get onto it. While you're waiting for Centrelink to get back to you, Helen says it's actually easier in this restricted environment to save money. Like we don't have you know, gyms anymore, we don't have um, the pubs open anymore, we don't have a lot of things that we would do for fun are no longer available. So that's the immediate area where there should be some savings. So if you're paying to have memberships to anywhere where that is no longer a service, then you need to start cutting those things off. There are other things you can do to ease the cost of living. I spoke to the head of financial planning Australia, Marissa Broom. She says, if you haven't lost your job yet, make sure you have emergency savings. If you aren't able to repay your mortgage, it's time to call your bank. I think the most important thing at the moment is the banks have invited their clients to come to them and be open and upfront. So that if you've lost your job, you can't meet your repayment, you know, your income's fallen, go and be open with your bank. If you're renting, Marissa says you should call your landlord and see if they'll reduce your rent or let you pause it. You might consider moving or subleasing a room in your house. If you have a fine, credit card repayments or another bill that you're not able to pay, call your provider or the relevant government agency and see if they will let you pay later or create a payment plan. Not everyone has savings to buffer them from a job loss. Liam is one of those people. Uh, due to personal reasons, I had to pay for some things. Uh, and yeah, I didn't have any savings behind me. I'm fortunate enough to live with my grandma at the moment. Um, but there are such my best friend is just two or three days before the announcement. He moved out of home and is now paying rent but doesn't have any income. I asked Marissa, what should people do if they're really desperate and they need money immediately? I believe most people are really, really being conscious and flexible and trying to do the right thing by their clients, whether their clients through a real estate agent, whether they're um, banks through their customers. So be upfront and actually ask for help. Don't try not to do a payday lender because the interest rates you'll be gouged, and gouged is the only word. Um, well, you'll just never get back on top of that. The government is also letting people access their superannuation early. But Marissa says, be wary of taking that option. I'm really worried about this um, encouragement of people accessing super. I understand it if you're on the brink of losing your house, that accessing super may actually put that off until you maybe improve. But to access your super now when markets have fallen 40 plus percent, and most people's super is invested in equities in markets around the world. Um, that's just something that will be very, very difficult to catch back up. We know that being stuck at home and having financial stress can put a lot of pressure on relationships. We also know that rates of domestic violence will increase in this period. Helen Baker says it's important that anyone in a domestic violence situation reaches out for help, regardless of their financial situation. Making sure that you've got somewhere to go, 
reaching out for support. The Salvation Army is always a great place to start. 1800 Respect, so the old R-E-S-E-C-T song. Dial that number, get the support that you need, have somebody to talk to, feel safe, and, and don't be afraid to reach out. We can expect that in the following months, more people will lose their jobs and their businesses as social distancing restrictions become harsher. Marissa stresses, it's important to remember that this is temporary and we will all come out the other side. We really are in dire straits. Pick up the phone. There are financial counsellors out there. There are lots of financial planners that do pro bono work. If you have a financial planner, go and see them before you make some rash decisions about what to do because you're under financial stress as well as all the other stresses that are taking place at the moment. Um, just pick up the phone and get some advice from someone. Uh, financial counselling Australia have got enormous numbers of very well-trained people that work for them. Uh, go and get some advice before you make some rash decisions. And everybody's in this together. So I guess, you know, the thing is, if you need help, pick up the phone with your bank, pick up the phone with someone, speak to someone. Um, and if it's just a, a, an emotional and mental health issue, pick up the phone to those services that are out there too. Don't think you're going through this alone. The whole country, in fact, the whole world's going through this. That was Marissa Broom from Financial Planning Australia, talking to anyone who's lost their job or their income due to the COVID-19 restrictions. If you are struggling financially, you can call the National Debt Landline on 1-800-007-007. If you're struggling with your mental health, you can access support from Lifeline on 13-11-14. Lani Tyndale reporting there. You're listening to On The Money Around Australia on the Community Radio Network. I'm Roderick Chambers. And that's all we have time for on On The Money this week. Tune in again next week to find out everything you need to know about finance, business and the economy. Thanks to our producers, Lani Tyndale and Bageshri Saviasachi. On the Money is produced in the studios of Radio 2SER for the Community Radio Network and with the assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Find all our shows and stories at 2ser.com slash on the money. Subscribe to our podcasts. We've got new episodes coming out every week. Follow us on Twitter. Look for at on the money 2SER. Find us on Facebook and Instagram. I'm Roderick Chambers. Do stay safe. We'll be back again next week to give you the inside running on all things financial. Thanks for your company.